Hi, I'm Pastor Brad Inman, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Church, this morning, as Josh mentioned, we begin our Advent journey. The Sunday after having celebrated Thanksgiving, although most likely very differently than we've experienced and celebrated it in the past, but still in some way offering thanks, practicing the spiritual discipline of gratitude which can often feel like just that, a discipline. Especially in 2020, perhaps it comes more naturally to some than to others, but for me personally, gratitude must be practice. We must be intentional in our thanksgiving. We exercise it. We stretch our muscles at it. And so I hope that you were able to do that this week. I hope you ate more turkey than you should have. I hope that you were able to make your mom's broccoli casserole over FaceTime while she made the same recipe a state away. I hope you Zoomed with your friends and your extended family and said, I miss you because I love you and I cannot wait to see you again. I hope you found a reason to give thanks this week. Because this morning, this Sunday, we shift. We move from the spiritual discipline of gratitude into another spiritual practice. We shift into the discipline of lament. The spiritual discipline of grieving collectively and individually. This is what the church year, this is what our church tradition calls us into, to begin Advent in a posture of weeping. And I know that many of us aren't comfortable with that. Our culture doesn't really give permission to weep freely. We have to get ourselves together. We have to dust ourselves off Active and intentional lament is often looked down upon as a weakness, as a lack of gratitude. But for any of us who've given ourselves permission to grieve, to openly lament, we know that it is quite the opposite. It requires great strength, great resilience, and deep perseverance. Lament can be described as passionate sorrow and grief, and that is uncomfortable for a lot of us. But even if it's uncomfortable, lament is biblical. I'll say that again. Lament is biblical. 
And I've preached on this before, but I'm going to repeat it because I believe with all my heart that it is true. Lament is powerful. Lament is permissible. And lament is what we are called to this morning. Lament is freedom. We don't have to hide our true selves from our true Savior. Lament is what we discover here in the passage from Isaiah. And somehow so many of these words from Isaiah ring true in our 2020 years. These words were written sometime between 586 and 515 BCE after the Babylonian exile, which was a devastating period in Israel's history. As the tribes were forcibly separated and scattered from their families, and this was written before the temple was rebuilt. So this in-between time where scholars suggest it reflects Israel's disorientation in the wake of a devastating exile. They are trying to rebuild They're trying to rebuild their fractured families, their devastated livelihoods. They're trying to rebuild their broken faith. Their sanctuary lies in ruin, and the people are once again, as Pastor Adam alluded to last Sunday, a wilderness people. Isaiah describes them as a people who are passionate in their sorrow. They hold nothing back from God. They don't pretend that things are better than they are. They do not comfort themselves with false or blind optimism. The people tell God how it is. The people also tell God who God is. And the people confess who they've become. We sinned. We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf in our iniquities, like the wind. They take us away. Church, it takes courage and conviction to be this honest with God. To be this vulnerable about who we really are and what we're struggling with. To confess, to lament. But I think more than courage, more than conviction, and more than vulnerability, what lament and confession require is hope. We confess and we lament before God because we believe that God is listening and God will respond. We hope that God will hear us and God will tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at God's presence. Confession and lament require a deep understanding of who God is and what God can handle. The Israelites don't have to be polite or sidestep what is before them. They don't have to spare God from the nightmares they are experiencing or the sin that they are committing. They don't spare God from the truth. This is important. This is important for us because right now we have a lot of reasons to lament, and a lot of reasons to confess, a lot of reasons to be afraid. And we may not think God can handle us right now. We're too much. Even 
for God. Maybe somebody's told you that, or maybe you feel that way because you look around and you see that others are struggling even more. Beloved, God can handle you. God can handle your lament because in our lament, we declare with great and deep hope that God is not finished with us yet, that God is still writing the story, and the story is unfolding, especially in this season of Advent. Advent is a time of lament for many reasons, and yet it is a season filled with hope and peace and joy and love. There's a tension here that we should feel, the tension of darkness and light, the tension of the pain of labor with the arrival of new birth, the fine line between dreams and nightmare, between sin and repentance, between what is and what should be. Somehow in this season, they all exist together. Lament and hope. This past week, I sat with a family who were unable to visit their 92-year-old matriarch struggling with dementia since March. And just a week ago Thursday, she was moved to hospice so that the family was finally able to visit with her on Friday. She passed on Saturday. And we sat there, and the pain of reckoning with that experience was heart-wrenching. The guilt, the anger, the regret, the unfairness, the lament. I tell you this story because it's becoming less and less exceptional. It may be your story. And one of the family members, through tears, looked at me and said, Pastor, this isn't how it should be. And all I could say was, you're right. This isn't how it should be. And we cried and we prayed. And our hearts echoed in collective hope and in collective silence. Isaiah's words, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. This is how we begin Advent. So aware of the brokenness of the world, so aware that there is so much iniquity, so much sin, so much pain, so much sickness. So aware that in the desperation of our circumstances, and there are a lot of desperate circumstances, so aware that when we are faced with that despair and stress and anxiety, and we are overwhelmed, we don't often rise to the occasion. When we are scattered and overwhelmed by circumstances beyond our control, as were the Israelites here in Isaiah's passage, we unfortunately don't often become our best selves. We sometimes even become our worst selves. To quote Isaiah once more, we have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We fade like a leaf and our iniquities. They're like the wind. They take us away. 
away from God. When things are hard, we don't always turn toward God. We often find ourselves pulling back, pulling away. We try to numb our pain with endless distractions. And this cultural season will provide ample and fresh and convenient excuses to indulge in any number of those things. Some of us will shop too much or sip too much or scroll too much or lash out too much or stream too much or sleep too much or work too much, all to escape the pain of our current reality because we don't know what else to do with it. We don't know what else to do with all of this pain. In our escapism, it will try to protect us from that pain, and it might even work for a moment. But it will also numb us from experiencing the true beauty that is present in the tension we named, the hope that exists alongside the brokenness. If we try to escape the dark altogether, we might miss the embreaking light. If we run away from the labor, we might miss the arrival of new life. If we can't recognize our sin, we can't be led to repentance. If we don't name what's before us, we can't imagine another way. We can't dream of how it should be. There is another way that honors the truth of the tension and that points us toward hope. It's lament. Lament gives space to name the darkness but to point toward light. Lament, sitting with our pain, going and giving space to the labor of that pain allows us to receive that new life. Lament gives space to see the world is not how it should be. The kingdom of God has not yet been fully realized. But lament calls us in recognizing that to participate, to dream, to imagine, to live into building that kingdom on earth. Lament calls us, invites us, as Isaiah speaks, to surrender to the hands of the potter, to be remolded and remade into a more faithful people because as the Israelites continued to proclaim, and we echo here at the end of that passage, we are God's people. We are still God's people no matter what. Lament calls us into the hope of Christmas because it confesses that God's kingdom is still in breaking. God's promises are still being realized around us, even as we speak the words, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. We are mindful that that is exactly what happens on Christmas. God literally tears open the heavens and joins us here on earth to renew us, to redeem us, to resurrect us. Our own lament reminds us that God is still moving. God is still coming to us. And there is so much hope in this season. One theologian reminded me that while we know Jesus is coming, 
This isn't a season of passive waiting and watching. It is a season of wailing and weeping, of opening our lives and our souls up with active anticipation and renewed hope. I'll repeat it. There is so much hope. You embody that hope by your presence, by believing that God will inbreak into our world. I have such a privileged seat here as your pastor. I know some, not all, but some of the brokenness that is held in your hands. The pain that you are carrying with you as you enter into this Advent season. The pain that you've shared with me, I hold it so close to my heart and I offer it to God with such deep grief and deep love. But then I see you. I see you hold that pain in one hand while you expectantly receive the gospel in the other. I see you carrying that pain and that brokenness and opening your hand to receive the bread of life and the cup of salvation. I see you hold that pain and long for and hope that God is and will tear open the heavens and come down. He is coming. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Let us pray. Holy God, in our secret yearnings, we wait for your coming. And in our grinding despair, we doubt that you will. And in this privileged place, we are surrounded by witnesses who yearn more than we do and by those who despair more deeply than do we. Look upon your church and its pastors in the season of hope which runs so quickly to fatigue, and in this season of yearning which becomes so easily quarrelsome. Give us the grace and the impatience to wait for your coming to the bottom of our toes, to the edges of our fingertips. We do not want our several worlds to end. Come in your power and come in your weakness in any case and make all things new. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.